Welcome to Life of the School, episode 39. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life at the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. In this episode, I sit down with Mark Little. Mark is a science teacher at Broomfield High School in Broomfield, Colorado. In addition to teaching AP Biology for more than 15 years, Mark is very involved with the AP Biology community. This includes being an active in the AP redesign and serving as an AP reader a table leader at the reading, and being an item writer for the exam. Additionally, Mark started the AP Environmental Science program at his school. Mark was a member of the first cohort of the BSCS NABT AP Leadership Academy, works for the National Math and Science Initiative, or NIMSI, the Colorado Science Initiative, and as a college board consultant. All programs focus on helping students and teachers prepare for AP science exams. Mark was the president of the National Association of Biology Teachers, NABT, in 2013. And in 2005, Mark was recognized as the outstanding biology teacher for the state of Colorado. Welcome, Mark. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you. This is uh, we are we are recording this in the past. We're this will come out in mid January. So, the, w- welcome to 2018. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, we are we are recording this on uh, New Year's Eve. So. Um, uh, I will uh, be experiencing this a couple hours ahead of you, uh, New Year's Eve, um, <laughs> with our little time zone math here. So how's the weather been over break for you guys? Have you guys had the bitter, bitter cold? We haven't had as much cold as you guys have. We, It's pretty cold today. For It's probably be balmy for you. It's probably about 20 degrees mm. today out here. And, you know, we've gotten little single digits more at night the last couple of days. We had pretty warm days, 40s or 50s until today for a while, which is pretty balmy. And now we're we're cold for a few days and we're supposed to get out of here probably midweek. So, yeah, we've been we've been in uh, well below zero for a pretty good stretch here. Um, Yeah. Negative negative temperatures overnight. Um, I think the high today is going to be somewhere around. 10 or 12, <laughs> something like that. Um, and yeah, we looking forward it. We do not have many temperatures breaking 20. We do not have not broken 20. I don't think this week. Um, and wow. looking forward, I think there's like on Friday, the high is going to be 23, but that's going to come with some snow. So, uh, <laughs> we've had, uh, definitely a, a much colder earlier turn. Um, I'm hopeful that it doesn't stay, this cold and snowy this long. Um, <laughs> cause it's, it can no. turn into a really long winter if you get, three months of this it can we've had it we had a bad stretch for a few cold days a week or so ago but we get out of it using colorado usually we get it for short term and we get about two to three real cold weeks of winter and you know right now i don't think we're out one yet we just get a few days daubering here and there so yeah we've been we've been pretty spoiled the last few years it's been fairly mild you know we get a cold week here or there but it's been pretty mild and then like late january and february have been bad um mm. for us the last few years but um but this is for me this feels like it's really early to be this cold um i don't remember a snap this long 
this early. Um, you know, occasionally dips down here or there, but so it's a. Uh, I'm hopeful it's not going to be when this re- episode comes out. Hopefully the the weather's broken and uh, <laughs> it's starting to I warm so warmed up into. I can take mid twenties. Like twenties are great. I can take that's winter. Mm-hmm. But these uh these last few weeks it's been. You know, it's, I like to run outside a little bit and I, it really has been, you know, unsafe between the, the ice and the, the weather and the temperature. Just, it's not for me, uh, I don't feel like it's particularly safe to go out and run in, you know, single digit, you know, wind chills below zero. Um, Ouch. yeah, it's, it's, it's not fun temperatures here. So, all right. No. So enough about the, uh, terrible winter, um, <laughs> <laughs> and beyond to hopeful 2018. Um, I'm, a. So I saw you. Uh, I saw you just a few. It feels like it was more recent. That was about two months ago now um, at NABT in St. Louis, mm-hmm. uh, where you were up at the luncheon, and we introduced it. You know, we introduced ourselves face to face, and there was definitely one of those interesting moments of recognition. Like, I, I know who you are. Oh, you know who I am. We've never been face to face before, but. Um, <laughs> It's possibly one of my favorite things about NABT um, is that I do that. I feel like I do that a lot uh, at those meetings. You know, true, I do too. Yeah, sit down. I was sitting down at that table, and it was Pam Close was sitting across the table, uh, and it was like, I was like, oh, I know who you are, <laughs> but I've never heard your voice before. I've never sat at a table with you for lunch, but um, yeah, absolutely, I know, I know your voice. Uh, I know what you think, and I know what you think is important. So, um, already looking forward to San Diego. Uh, oh yeah i'm looking forward to it too speaking speaking of nice weather (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah that'll be our respite next november all right so let's let's jump into the question i like to ask everybody which is uh how did you become a science teacher what led you into the classroom i always had an interest the outdoors even as a young age and i worked for the city of boulder starting junior high through high school and teaching i suppose is partially for me genetics because all four of my grandparents were educators two at the university of colorado and two two in the school district i currently teach in one was a junior high social studies and one was an elementary teacher and my dad was a lawyer but he was a regional solicitor for the department of interior which means fancy word for government lawyer for the (laughs) national park system so we had a lot of working vacations when we were kids. So he drove around. We'd go to Grand Teton, and he'd go work for a day or two while my mom had to keep track of me and my two brothers. And then we'd go to Rock Yellowstone. We saw a lot of national parks and dams, Grand Coulee, Glen Canyon. You know, so we took a lot of trips that way, working trips with kids. So we were outdoors, got to appreciate nature and things a lot. And I think wanting to work with people and things. When I went up to Colorado State, that was kind of something I went into. Wanted to go into is kind of science, outdoors thing. So I have a kind of a dual undergrad degree from Colorado State as a park ranger, per se, as well as a biology teacher. And uh, got a minor in coaching, of all things. And all those classes, basically, because a lot of the classes I took were anatomy classes with dual slashed for science and PE and those hours all qualified and most people don't know I'm certified in Colorado to teach PE and most of my classes were all anatomy classes and physiology classes and not you know techniques and PE or whatever so that's how I got into it a little long-winded but that's kind of how I got into teaching so so you go through your your background you you so why didn't you become a park ranger um <laughs> My, my dad, at the time when I was going through school, 
my dad and I talked about it. And uh, he said, you know, he said parks, this was in the 80s, early 80s, early mid 80s. And he said, tight jobs are tight. He said, what do you like to do? And I liked teaching. And honestly, one of the, I kind of like some of the teaching things. And one of my old high school football coaches saw me at a CSU football game and said, why don't you come over here and help volunteer coach over here? And then, but to do that, I had to get in the education program. So I, I kind of was in the park ranger thing first. So I had the education piece later. And so he got me going over there. So I had to watch practice, watch classrooms. He said, you know, you'd be good at this. And so he kind of talked me into it. That's why I added that coaching minor kind of was that from that. So I can kind of do some of that. And I just added the courses I needed to teach beyond some of the par- more true biology courses besides the outdoor biology courses as I went. So I took a couple more years, but it was kind of worth it in the long run. So I kind of had both choices when I got out and teaching fell in easier than the park ranger type (laughs) stuff. So I did a lot of that naturalist type stuff with the summer job. So I kind of kept both worlds there for a while. So neat. It's it's interesting to hear the idea that teaching was the easy thing. (laughs) (laughs) because that's rarely the case no it was kind of my dad said of the jobs he said you know park jobs he says i you could probably go work for the forest service he says those would be very difficult to try to get into and stay long term he said if you could get into teaching you know you might have a better shot he said so you know i ended up getting fortunate enough to student teach in the district at the school i'm currently teaching at wow I'm a rarity because I've been at my school my whole career. Yeah. You know, over 30 years. And so there are not many of us who do that, I don't think, anymore. So No, that's a that's a pretty special uh that's a pretty special arc to start student teaching there and still be teaching there thirty years more than thirty years later. Yeah, I got many people said, You had my dad, you had my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had grandparents yet, thank goodness. But. <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for that day. Uh, I haven't been in my school that long, but I, I do feel like it's around the corner. Uh, not too long. I've been there 17 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so, And I've been teaching for – actually, this is 18, so I've been teaching for 22. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I do I do wonder about that because the, the people I started teaching back when I, when I started in the school, they're, you know, they're, they're adults now, and there mm-hmm. <laughs> won't be too many more years before it would be possible for those people to come back. Um, that's true. Could be could be around the corner. As scary as that sounds. So you, you um, so this sort of leads into one of my next questions. You've opened the door. You've been in the classroom a long time, and you know I was thinking about this. You know I've taught a lot of people I te- I talk to are really basically contemporaries, and I feel like sort of people who are you know like me been in the classroom 15, 20 years. We've been doing there. Mm-hmm. You're you've got a little bit more um, experience, and you have a little bit more I think hindsight as a result mm-hmm. of that. And so I, I, I was wondering this myself just the other day about the the teaching profession. I had a, a former student who was asking me about teaching and I was trying to th- put my head around how the career keeps changing to me. And I couldn't come up with in my mind, was this something that was gradualism? <laughs> was it something where it's like every year I tinker a little bit, every year I tinker a little bit, or was it more the punctuated equilibrium where, you know, like I have these these tectonic shifts in the way I teach? And, and I kept going back and forth and I couldn't, 
I couldn't decide which one I thought it was. And so I figure I'll ask you. Looking back, what, what do you feel like your career has been more of? Has it been this sort of gradual movement of change, or do you think there have been sort of moments or you know a handful of years that have led to large shifts in your teaching career? I think I think you said it well there at the last part. I think there's some gradualism with some things at times, and then there's some key major events for me that happened. You know, like I said, I student taught at the same school I was with, and I student taught at and started teaching there. And he, you know, I think a lot of people, and I've heard this from a lot of people, say, well, I teach the way I saw people teach. <laughs> I know, you know, so that was initially how people went. They said, well, that's easier. Here's what you do. And one of the things I got to after I started doing this, I said, that's not me. I said, so I got to the philosophy. My everybody says, well, what's your big philosophy in teaching? This is teach it the way I wish I would have had it done to me yeah. to make it make more sense to me that way. So I always start, I don't know if the word is a rebel, but I always a little outside the box thinker with kind of how I try to do things. And there and there are major events. One of the guys I taught with was as an NABT member, Rich Berinsky. He kind of was there when I student taught at Broomfield. He, he kind of talked me into joining NABT. And in 1992, one of my punctuated moments was going to my first NABT conference in 1992 in Denver. And I said, oh, my gosh, look at this world. There are all these really bright people out here, really smart people, passionate people, like-minded thinkers. And so that really got me wanting to change and get, get into trying to learn more about teaching. And then, you know, through the American Biology teacher, I got there's the advertising classes. There used to be a program, I think there still is to a degree, Woodrow Wilson Summer Program mm -hmm. out of Princeton. And in 1996, I got to go to that. Another punctuated moment for me. Met Don Cronkite and... Charlie Drews, two guys, they were there. Donald, Don Cronkite ran it. He was from Hope College, and Charlie Drews from Iowa State. And Charlie was there the whole four weeks with us. And then they kind of really opened my eyes to teaching. There were about 40 teachers there, some of my still my best friends today. And we all learned a lot from those guys. And I also had Bonnie Bassler. She was there for a week, you know, with her quorum sensing. You know, she was you know, talk, was even talking about some of that back then. So I was very fortunate to have the, that crew as a punctuated moment. You know, then I went to the reading. I was another punctuated moment. And then probably for me, I taught AP for a while, but I didn't like the, uh, sake for the better term, the fire hose approach. <laughs> yep. You know, parade through Campbell, not insulting Campbell's book, but parade through whatever book you had, get through all the chapters, and I basically hose the students down every year. And whoever could memorize the most stuff, you did the best. And, you know. and so when I was hearing about the redesign at the reading, I said, oh, this is more my style. This is what I like to do. So going to the, going to the re AP redesign, then going to the AP Leadership Academy kind of opened my ideas to way kind of teach a little more outside the box. Like, man, it's okay to do that. And so I've been, you know, you kind of have your gradual moments and you take something that go, wow, that makes a big change in what you do. And that's probably when I changed from being, I suppose, more, for sake of a better term, traditional teacher mm -hmm. to 
more of an open, I don't know if it's flipped or whatever, a blended, whatever the latest flavor of the month phrase people use anymore. But I do, it's more activity driven. I lecture one day a week. Students need my voice. I ask a lot of questions to kids. You know, it's very questioning on things as we go and very active. I encourage them to think, go outside the box with things as we go. And I don't, I'm not the sage on the stage anymore. You know, I don't do death by PowerPoint, you know, (laughs) you know, so I I suppose that's kind of how I had to summarize it. I think it's both. You have those moments, things are subtle change and all of a sudden you get those aha moments and it's big change. Yeah. It sounds like you've always been a, a bit of a tinkerer though. Like it's not, you know, it's not been a case where, you know, like something happened to you or was like a passive event. You were very actively seeking out these these opportunities to to challenge and and, you know, bring new ideas into your classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always look for new opportunities. I talk to people. What workshops did you go to? What did you like to do? Uh, I went to a problem-based learning workshop at Bowman Gray Med School one summer. I went to, I went to, I've gone to, uh, when I taught anatomy and physiology, I taught that a long time. I went to, they see now the modeling by clay. There's a horic modeling by clay models. I went to one of those early workshops about that. How do I bring that to the classroom? I'm going to make it better for my students. And I've tried to go things. I always NABT is a place I always go on an annual basis. I made it work, you know, financially. How to do it? I, yeah. Sometimes I got subday coverage from the district, but I always tried to make it work for me to go because I needed that input and challenge. That also gave me aware of other opportunities maybe do over the summers. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. When you brought up uh, the Woodrow Wilson, it reminded me. Um, uh, to Judy Jones. I wonder if Judy Jones from North Carolina was one of those people uh, who I worked with in an online mentoring program. And she's the first person who I had ever mentioned that program to me. So, Yep, I know Judy pretty well. Yeah. She's one of those people who I, I, I feel embarrassed that I didn't understand the resource that Judy was until I had known her for probably four or five years. And then <laughs> as we started talking more and started talking more, and I was like, Man, I like why have I not been asking Judy questions like on a daily basis about what she did mm-hmm. in her classroom and experiences and that sort of thing. She's so unassuming. Um yes. and you know, uh, so, I mean, sweet is like the word that comes to mind obviously, but yes. but so so knowledgeable and has this this breadth of knowledge um and as I said, definitely one of those cases where um I think I learned a lot about how I need to stop and ask people questions more often because we worked Mm -hmm. together probably for four or five years in the online mentoring program before we got to the point where we were working, you know, side by side a lot more. And -hmm. it was through the conversations that I had with her then that I started to realize sort of the depth of her understanding and the, the depth of resources that she had from her, um, her long successful career. And that was as she was transitioning into retirement. (laughs) Oh yeah. She's, she's quite a lady. Yeah. Yeah, I still ask her questions about OBTA and other things all the time. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that uh, as I as I get a little bit more involved with my state association, I may be starting to tap some <laughs> expertise from people <laughs> too. Uh, I know the OBTA leader from Massachusetts, and he's always asking for help uh, every year. Um, and as a former OBTA, you end up 
being one of those people who gets asked for those questions. So, yes. yeah. Um, and you feel a responsibility and I, you know, I want to be involved, uh, in those cases, but it's definitely a, definitely a case where it's, uh, always hard in that spring to craft out that time. But, um, you know, sort of owe it to the to profession. I guess this sort of naturally leads into that that next question. Um, as I said, we saw each other in St. Louis, and you know, you've mm-hmm. held like a whole bunch of positions in NABT, and you know, um, I, I could you, you mentioned 1992 uh, going to NABT, um, which you know gives me a little perspective here because you know that was the year I graduated high school. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely give you a perspective on uh, the arc of careers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've held all these different positions. And in St. In St. Louis, I was very much struck by you standing up at, at the luncheon, the AP Biology teacher luncheon, and basically calling for, for people to get involved um, with all the different things that NABT does. So now I'm going to give you this platform, and literally dozens of people are listening. So <laughs> you have this opportunity to, to speak to some people. But, you know, why, why first of all, why should I get involved with these NABT organizations? And also, like, what are the different ways that people could get involved with the different things that NABT is doing? Okay. Um, You know, why get involved? One of the things I learned from the people I stole from in my career, Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way, is I learned there's an opportunity at times when you've been around the block long enough, it's time to give back. Do a profession that's been very good for you. That's been you that you've benefited from others helping. So it's time for you to help others. And, you know, and when I won the OBTA in 2005, it opened some doors for me. Then I got kind of recruited to help Colorado's OBTA. Then I was state president for a while. Then when, when uh, it was in Denver, like 2007 and ABT was. And so it opened some doors for me that I didn't really anticipate at times, especially being an award winner at times with things. And, uh, you know, then I, and part of the reason for giving me back was presenting, you know, I had stuff to share. I stole from people. Mm-hmm. It's time to let people steal from me. <laughs> you know, I tried to make sure I had resources and give it back to people. Um, and even at the state level, people say, well, I don't know if I want to get involved with an ABT, but what about your state? You know, you mentioned the OBTA process at your state. You can be involved with Massachusetts OBTA. I'm sure they like an evaluator or at least someone. Can you go nominate people to apply for the ward mm-hmm. and then say, hey, I nominated you. Can you know, can you at least follow through and fill out the application for it? Because one of the things we're having troubles with is we get we nominate people for a lot of awards but getting the follow-through on it and maybe you know especially asking past award winners or people you know say hey i'm gonna volunteer you know i'm gonna volume nominate you for this award then you, that person be responsible to follow up make sure that person completes it if they think enough of you to apply for that you know nominate you maybe they can at least that way maybe you follow up on the awards uh could be evaluating awards it could be at least being out there soliciting people to apply, mm-hmm. not even evaluating them. Say, hey, I'll nominate five people for this award and I'll follow up and try to get them to f- finish this thing for you. You can evaluate them. I'll do that. That could be one way to simply get involved in that way. Through NABT, there's also state reps that kind of mm-hmm. help the state people out at ways that you can help them out, you know, help with different programs solicit information out like hey we have this workshop going on maybe just pushing emails out things like that uh 
OBTA committees uh, at the state level mentioned already. Um, also, there's people evaluate. Some people sometimes say, you know, I don't like some of these sessions in NABT. Why didn't mine get picked? Okay, <laughs> why don't you go up there and be on that committee and try to pick them? Here's the rubric. Go pick them out and see what this is about. Because usually there's kind of a theme-based type things and some things like that to go through. That is a way someone can get involved with it, too, is to go through and evaluate. That is probably one of the more time-consuming things at times, is going through and evaluating that. Honestly, I've done some of that, not as much as maybe what I should. Um, AP section here, you know, that I'm kind of one of the other hats, being the ACP section chair. I know this year coming up, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag too much, that we're <laughs> going to kind of have... Uh, PD coordinator Jen Fanestill is going to help with our PD coordinating and we're going to probably we may be going to the the hive to try to get people to who want to put some ideas together coming up here probably coming out here in 2018 for an ABT in on San Diego and I know besides applying you know then we have the Kim Fogley award so we have people looking at that down the road too so there's different ways people can get them to get involved and even if it's simply say okay i'm a past awardee ought to be involved in either nominate yourself or nominate somebody else and make sure you complete it <laughs> or somebody else complete it because we probably have i would say some states less than half the people will complete application processes wow and that is one of the reasons sometimes you know, and if someone nominates someone, at least that's why I kept emphasizing how to follow through to complete it would be nice mm -hmm. with some things. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting because with the the state award, I didn't feel like you know you get nominated for various things at different times, and some things you get nominated mm -hmm. for are like um, there's a couple of the NSTA things <laughs> that are man, it's, it's a lot of work, uh, to, mm -hmm. to put in and fill all those boxes and to write all that stuff out. Um, I didn't find the state, you know, for the mass OBTA to be that onerous. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's time. It does take time. It You're is. Just, and it always takes more time than you think, because, um, no matter how well you think your educational philosophy is polished or that sort of thing, to sit down and to actually distill it down into, a you know, something that's short and to the point and sort of hits that mark. Um, I think for me, the funniest thing about writing those types of statements is that when you write your education philosophy, and we talked a little bit about that gradualism versus punctuated mm -hmm. equilibrium, like I'm writing things and I'm, how much do you make it aspirational? Like mm -hmm. this is where my classroom is going and it's not there yet, but it's yep. going there. Um, and it, it's actually, I think one of the better things for me was going through some of those processes of having to write down what it was and then thinking about that aspirational piece and saying, like, can I legitimately say that I have, you know, created active classrooms across the board? Like, mm -hmm. are, are my classrooms all very active? And in some cases, it was like, well, this classroom is really active, but in this classroom, it's still too heavy chalk and talk. Yeah, we do activities, but, you know, when there's a snow day... When the schedule gets disrupted, and I gotta cut something, what do I cut something? When I what do I cut from my monitors bio class? To me, that's the that's sort of the internal question that I, I often ask colleagues when we work together. All right, if there's a snow day, what do we cut? That's the thing. That's the thing we don't think is important. 
The thing you cut is not the important thing. That's the driver. And if you would cut a lecture but not cut an activity, then your classroom is activity driven. Correct. And, and, and that's why I'm sitting there smiling because I've had that same yeah. discussion. You know, I'm unfortunately, I fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, only one teaching my classes. So I got to make that decision. And usually I end up cutting, I cut, I cut the lecture down and say, look, here's, here's where you can get there. Here's, you know, I put something together for them. Here's the content, but we're going to do it this way. So, yeah. Yeah. This year I think is the first year I legitimately wouldn't cut the lecture in my honors class. Hmm. Like 100%, like really doesn't matter what it is because I have gone to a flipped model with that. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily say that in my AP class. Now, if the choice was between a lab and a lecture, I'd cut the lecture. Yep. But if it was between a, a lecture and another way that might get across content, it would really be on a case-by-case resource, which is, again, that, that lens through which, you You're know, correct. like how do you look at your curriculum and how do you evaluate it? And to me, um, I definitely still feel a little bit of a a little bit of a PowerPoint pressure with my AP, which tells me that curriculum, as aspirational as I am to get where I want to go, it still needs to shift. It still needs to make some moves. There are there are aspects of it that I'm still relying on old guard methodologies to get things across. Um, and as I said, I wouldn't. I, I don't know that I would ever cut a lab because um, mm-hmm. the lab really does drive what we do. Um, yep. And I do. I'm really happy with that. But I don't necessarily think that. I can necessarily say, yeah, job done um, <laughs> in any class, but uh, that that philo- philosophical shift certainly hasn't happened. Um, so now I, I'm, I'm really genuinely curious. You you asked us all to sit down and write our names down on cards, and, and so you mm-hmm. collected all of these cards there. Yep. And so, like, what – I don't even remember what I put down on that card. So what, what did I mistakenly sign up for if I put my name down on a card? Well, and honestly, I didn't look look at them that tight this year. I went through them and kind of I told I gave them to the NABT office staff and they were going to put that information into a spreadsheet. That's what I've been told. I am actually going to ask that question probably this coming week. Okay. To see if that's been done, because I may say if it's not done, send it to me and I'm going to get it done because there is some good information of people wanting to get involved at different state areas and wanting to, you know, and I think we need to put people to work, you know, you know, looking for a few volunteers because the NABTs run a lot on volunteers to get people to work and so state groups and put people and use people's ideas. Everybody's got great ideas and, you know, time to let people hear them and try to get involved with it. And we have different ways to do things. So, so those that those cards I gave to the NABT office, they were going to enter that into a spreadsheet as the direct answer I was told. All right. And I'm going to follow up with that. Yeah. Well, if, if you get to the, those offices, that means that Jackie probably has a hand in it. And yes. they'll, I, I've got a pretty good sense that they'll be follow up then. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, you're correct. Not a lot slides by Jackie. So um, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I actually thought it was, uh, it was brilliant pre- peer pressure. Um, to be at those tables, uh, at least for me, because I'm sitting next to Chris uh, Monsoor, and Chris does like eight million things, and oh, so yeah. it was like I think it was like me and Chris, and I like I was an, a, an unofficial Ohio teacher for, uh, out there in St. Louis because I was I hung with uh, with those guys quite a bit when we were okay. out there. Um, that just sort of who I had 
who I had dinner with and who I hung out with and whose nice. presentations I went to. It was great. Yeah. Um, but you sit next to Chris and Chris does like 8 million things. And it's like, man, he's putting his name down on things. I'm like, damn, I'm sitting next to Chris and Chris is <laughs> like, really, I'm not on any of these organizations or any of these committees. And uh, maybe I should do some of those things. And yeah, um, I think, you know, there's definitely for me, there's a, um, there, there has been this little bit of, there's a little inertia. I'm not going to lie. I think there's definitely okay. inertia when you don't, and you're not part of these committees. Um, and there is de- also definitely a case of uh, finding the right way to have like to contribute voice. Cause there is definitely an intimidation yes. factor when you don't contribute to any of these things. Then you sit down and you look, you know, across the table and you see all of these people who you read their their thoughts on discussion boards either through the college board or on the Facebook group or uh, you you know you use their stuff um, you mm-hmm. know I was, I was joking the other day with somebody they asked me a question about some AP resource and I was like yeah I have something like that and I searched through my um, my Google Drive and I in my Google Drive I don't know how I merged with so many other people's Google Drives but I got stuff in there from like everybody so like i've got you know i've got stuff from kanufki and i've got stuff from you know uh from bob coon and i've got stuff from uh, i actually had something from from uh sydney bergman in there uh that was like a, an emergency like you know emergency guide to ap teaching that she had written like four or five years ago and i was like i was like what's this i got totally distracted because i was like i gotta read what you know these people had to say uh when so when you sit down and you're like oh do you want to get involved with this thing and you you sit around and you're like these people are all so engaged and they're so involved what what possibly could i have to contribute to to this um there definitely is that pause and and that's coming from me and i am not shy about like (laughs) diving in and getting involved with things um so i i do wonder about um what is the avenue for broadening the base is it the state organizations do we really need to make that push to get new teachers involved at the state level, you know, to feed them in to NABT? Or do you have any thoughts about, like, how do we get those, you know, first, second, third, fifth-year teachers, the people who are in the early phase of their career, engaged and connected um, into the broader community? That is a big question I know we've been tackling for a while, honestly. And I think, honestly, getting involved, if you have a stronger state association, getting people to sign up in membership there. Oh, by the way, you know, get them involved in attending and say, oh, then, oh, by the way, we have this group, the national group. And um, it's probably the next step, even though I know some people have gone from applying, go first conference, then go right in NABT, and that's fine. Try to help with too. But it isn't, you the thing is, it's intimidating. It's kind of like the first time I went to the AP reading, I sat in there, this way myself a little bit. I sat there, there's Bill Barstow, who made all those videos about AP biology for Carolina and all those resources at that Georgia website. You know, there's Bill Barstow and there's Peggy O'Neill Skinner. And I was going to go right down the list of all these people. And then I got, someone brought me over and had me sit down with them. And I talked, they're just normal people. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that's hard even here at NABT, you, and you figure out Chris is a great guy to go hang out with and stuff like that. But you look at some of these people, you go, can I really just sit down and talk to them? And it's sometimes hard for people to do. And I get that because I was on the other side of the fence. And I know people do that to me once in a while. I said, really? You have a hard time talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
and uh, and so I get that a little bit. And I think somehow we got to, I don't know what the word is, make it easier, more welcoming or something. And that's something I think we're trying to work on at least a little bit. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is true. And I actually don't feel like it's true on the at the NABT level. And I, I definitely feel that there's a, a broader... Um, age group, but I know that within my state organization, um, and I've, I, I'm not speaking out of, out of school here because I, I, I happen to share my, my colleague who I work with closely is the president of the Massachusetts Association of Biology okay. Teacher. Uh, he's the mass uh, head of the mass uh, association. And like the group is old. I mean, mass is yes. like our, our group is just an old group and we just do not have young blood in that group to the point where like he, he's been nagging me to get more involved in the state level, um, which is really weird because I'm like not officially involved, but like I'm as unofficially involved as one could be. Uh, as I was, uh, I was, I was joking that I have been in contact with the person who is going to be our keynote. Um, I back channeled uh, to help the keynote line up this year. Uh, who's going to be Kanufki? Because um, <laughs> because they're talking about having Kanufki come do the keynote, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to let David know that they're going to reach out to him. And so we, I started chatting with him before they even had reached out to him uh, to see if it was something that he's interesting because I didn't want them to waste their time um, mm-hmm. if it wasn't something on his radar. Um, and then you know I was contacting some of the HHMI folks um, because again, you know, it's like when you've had that opportunity to stand face to face with somebody and you've talked, you know, there's, I understand that intimidation, but like, I feel like by going to NABT and having those conversations and developing relationships with people, I could reach out to, you know, I didn't contact, you know, Sydney directly at first, although I did eventually contact her. I asked some of the ambassadors I know who like, and there's 8 million of them. Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's an yep. ambassador. Uh, so I reached out to an ambassador. I said, "What's the process of getting somebody at the state organization?" And I asked those questions because people were, you know, were curious about that. And then and then started reaching out, and making those connections. So I totally get it. But I I am I'm a little flummoxed that if I come in at, you know, in my mid forties, I'm driving the age, I'm bringing the average age down, and a, a lot. Um, and that's a problem. We need to. How do we get the twenty somethings? This. And this has been a, we've talked about this at NABT for a long time. I know we talked about it at Colorado State Group. This is why we've talked about trying to do social, using social media more. Yeah. Because the younger crew tends to be more social media driven, you know, whether it's Twitter, whether it's, you know, other modalities per se to try to get people involved with things. And, and, I don't know what it, and somehow it's one of these things. If we can get them to try it, I think they'll be hooked. They understand it and want to want to be part of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, come to a conference, go, go to some things, go to a workshop, you know, have some people, young people come here, David Kanofsky, come talk to your group. That could, that'll be very inspiring for a lot of people. Hmm. So my gosh, I can, can I be turned into him? Yeah. You could be David Kanufke 2.0 or even better than that. Hmm. You'll be yourself this way. And that's what, you know, he'd love to have that happen. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, people become inspired to go do some things and it's a matter of just getting them into the door sometimes. And I just don't know what the magic thing is. It's and if anybody out there knows what that is, please <laughs> let, let me know. And let us all know, then we'll all have figure out what we got to do. 
because that is truly the magic bullet. Because I know at NABT conferences and some of the meetings I've been in for several years, what can we do to keep track younger membership, you know, and things like that to keep them. And yeah, I I feel like the 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 resource that I want is the the pre service teacher, the the first yes. three year teacher. But I also know at the same time the the work you go and engage in your first three years is you're so overwhelmed. It's yes. just such an overwhelming time. The the ask of putting that on, like it's almost like it's got to be just done for you. Like you're a pre service teacher. Oh, and look, you are now a member of this state organization for the next five years. Or like, look, you're a first year. Like it's almost wanted to be like part of district mentoring programs. Like yes. that it's that's not even like, you know, it's not an opt in. You know, it's like this is something that you're he that's here. I, I feel like that threshold somehow needs to be driven down a little bit more. Um, just having worked, and I, as I said, I worked in the, a mentoring program with with Judy for years. The the work that teachers get those first few years, and the attrition rate that we have, particularly in science teachers, in those Absolutely. first few years is so high. Um, the the idea that we would ask that group to join this organization. Oh yeah. And you're overwhelmed and you're dropping out at, you know, unconscionable numbers, but oh yeah, added on this extra thing. Um, to me, it's not something that, that, that meshes well. So the question is how do we maybe use the value added of these organizations as the support to help prop those guys up that first couple of years? Um, yeah. And I think the free membership, I know that some of that's been discussed at times, I know state and local here and figure out. And the other thing is making sure you got ins to the state, the education buildings, who's doing it and maybe even have that. Look, I said, to, because most cause get them least a state science membership, you know, they, because most people starting out, they're going to probably teach and I'll be I'll speak where I'm from. They may do a physical science class or two. They may have a biology class or two and maybe a chemistry class. So the state science teachers club organizations probably initially their way to go. And as they go down the road, maybe they'll go from the state science teachers membership to the Colorado biology teachers membership as they become more specialized over time. But I think the key is getting them to go and attend these conferences, hmm. you know, at least get their foot in the door to go see what's out there. And I know what I did this year at our school, and this drove drove me a little crazy, is I went to our administrator, who's in charge of the science group, I said, why don't you offer to pay, because we have a lot of younger science teachers, why don't you offer to pay their registrations for, you know, so many of them to go, because I know some of them won't, because of various reasons. I said, look, I won't take you up on it, because I've gone so many years. But why don't you take it, you know, see if somebody will go down there and take them up. Three people showed interest. None followed through to go. Mm. Had every all the registration, their sub day covered, and they didn't go. And and I, we got to have it valued. And these are and most of these people taught mm, five years and less. Mm -hmm. You know, and for our conference, it was the Friday before Thanksgiving. So everybody was either giving, you know, before Thanksgiving break for us, the way we do it. We get a full week off at Thanksgiving. And I said, most people are either giving a test or showing a movie in the lower level classes that day. You know, the uh, not, you know, they, you know, you might be class without having tests or whatever too. You know, that's what most people were doing. I said, 
said I would have covered someone's classes for them to go. Yeah. But I told their administrator that he was really frustrated too. He says, I don't know what we got to do. And I said, it's got to be something that's valued and important enough for people to, to go. And I think it's a matter of getting them or we're getting them. So I know one of the schools at our colleges brings student teachers down to ours. Not all of them, which disappoints me. I wish all the you know, local universities did. But what you need to get them down there to show the importance of belonging and going. Yeah. Yeah, I I also do think there's a there's a cultural mindset that has to shift a little bit, um, you know. And you've I I you you know this better than I do, but you know my first few years teaching, I didn't have an email uh, from through my yeah. school. Um, there was really no expectation of connectivity uh, when yeah. I started my career. Um, whether people like it or not, they live in a connected world, yeah. uh, and that connected world could be burdensome or could be supportive yes so why not help make choices or model the support connectedness you know that model that being connected is going to support you and help you get through the job it is not we're not asking you to do all of this work to do this extra thing what we're doing is we're showing you a way of staying connected and being supported by these external supports that right now you're not accessing, but could make your job ultimately more rewarding and easier. Um, yeah. I can, I completely concur. I think it does gotta be a little shit culture shift. It's okay to go down there and people, and then when they go down, say, Oh my God, I thought I was the only one like this. This is why we've been telling you to come and go and, <laughs> You know, and stuff like this, and pe and some people, and some of the, I know some folks tell me, well, I can just find it on the internet. I said, no. I said it's different. I said if you get to go down to talk to you, say, Aaron, why do you do it this way? Yeah. Can you explain to me why you do it this way? Yeah. And not just say, well, I found your website and I drug this off. I'm going to do it. Well, this didn't work well for me, so it's crap. No. Why do you do it this way? Oh, I get now why you set it up and want to do it this way. It makes perfect sense. And you're going to have those conversations. And I think, yeah, it's got to be, a, I think that you said it well, what type of shift it's got to be. So, yeah. And I, well, the other thing is that like when you go and you meet people face to face, the ability to reach out on the internet, like it's one thing for me to go and say, mm -hmm. oh, I, I saw Bob Kuhn posted this resource out here. Um, let me go through my documents, da 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 da, da. And as, as opposed to be saying, I know Bob Kuhn dude did this. I'm just going to send Bob a message and say, what is that thing? And in fact, I, our first interaction, I actually looked back in our messages. You sent me a document because I threw out into the into one of the communities. I was like, I'm looking and doing uh, you know, a fast plant on this. What do people do for a CER? And you were one of the people who posted up what you do as a CER mm -hmm. with your fast plants. You were one of, you know, and I had you gave me stuff and Lee Ferguson gave me stuff mm -hmm. and a couple of other, you know, like... I threw it out there um, and truth be told, I read what you had. And because I know Lee, because I've met Lee at NSTA and I know her from NABT and we have got a little, I was working on, I took Lee's document and modified Lee's because of mm -hmm. the relationship that I developed with Lee mm -hmm. at an NSTA conference, mm -hmm. you know, and there was, it was one of those things when then I sat down with Lee at NABT this year and I was like, oh, uh, I got some questions for you. It's exactly that conversation you said that I was working on something on the plane out there 
And then I had this opportunity to sit down and ask her some questions about oh, nice. how she rolled that out. So it's exactly that. So for me, it also, it makes the world smaller um, and makes it a lot easier to, to do the things that you do. And it also, you know, I think there is a degree of, there's a degree of daring that we're asking people to do as teachers. Like, all right, you could just okay. stand in front of the room and use your PowerPoint and any administrator who walks in, you've got your learning objectives posted on there. You've got your, you've got your lesson plan laid out. You've got your unit schedule laid out. You've got your assessments there. You can, you can formulaically do this in a way that any outsider could walk in and check up series of boxes and say, you're doing a good job. Yep. But that may not be, that may not be true to you, as you mentioned earlier, but it also, mm-hmm. just, it, it may not be, it's not forward thinking. It's not progressive enough. It's not mm-hmm. the direction you want to go. And if you know that, well, I know these people are super successful and they do it this way, or they've tried this way. Let me go out. Let me, let me venture out. And you can go out and be a little bit more daring. Yep. Um, you know, as, I agree. Yeah, nobody's gonna die. <laughs> you know, it's just if we do a CER, and as I said, I did a CER this year, and I did that fast plan CER, and I'll be honest, it was kind of a mess. Like, um, I did not frame my questions very well up front. Mm-hmm. I think my rubric was more confusing than it should have been. Um, mm-hmm. But like at the end, I sort of framed it, and I worked with some colleagues, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but this has a lot of promise." Like, yeah, this was a mess, but I, we like this. They were able to look past the little frustrations. And trust that, oh, yeah, no, this is the direction, right direction. We just need to clean these pieces up. And um, as I said, if it wasn't for that community and connectiveness, it would have been a lot harder for me to have been daring to try those mm-hmm. things. So learning can be messy. Oh. That's, you know, and that's part of it. Some people don't like messy with yeah. some of it in the classroom. And my colleagues, some of them will come by and I'm not throwing them under the bus, but sometimes they go, how can you do this? And, I said, I'm comfortable if it doesn't work. Yeah. And I say, I screwed up. Let's try it this way the next day. You know, and that's just a matter. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's comfort in what I'm doing and stuff like that. But I said, look, the only way to get better is you try something. You learn more from screw ups than you do doing it right all the yeah. time. And so I learned, oh, I've messed up a bunch over the years. And so that's how you learn from it. And I, some of them are listening some, but it just, it's that I'm more comfortable with that if it doesn't go well, then it has to go well per se the first time. Yeah. Always, let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then also what are you modeling for your kids? Are you modeling that everything they put forward has to be perfect the first time or that it's okay to struggle and fail and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes? Like what, what culture of learning are you modeling in your classroom mm-hmm. for the kids who are ultimately supposed to be the big learners in there? Yep. Yeah. So. All right. This is a great, great side conversation. I told you, we the questions are just a framework and guideline. <laughs> we go off, on, go off on digits. All right. So, uh, looking forward to the years to come. What are you looking forward to in your classroom in the years to come? I, I mean, I, I venture to guess that you may not have a million years left in the classroom, or you don't see yourself in the classroom twenty five years from now. Um, but what are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? You know, I won't be there a million years from now. That's true. But I'm looking forward to be trying to become a better teacher. And I always, I've challenged administrators. They've never taken me up at this at our, my school. I said, why don't you, if you ask teachers to grade themselves every year, how they do? And I said, I guarantee most people are going to put A's. The vast majority put B's. I said, hardly anybody will put a C. I said, I'll put a C every time. Because I said, I always can get better. 
Mm. So I'm never satisfied where I am because I said I could have done that better, could have done that better, could have done that better. But I was oh, you did all these things well. I said, that's fine, but I know what I need to work on. And I said, you know, right, maybe that's a little harsh for whatever, but I'm trying to make all make. I'm also trying to make my class a more student-driven class. Get farther down the road that way. I want my kids to be able to think. My opinion doesn't matter. I want them because they're going to become eligible voters someday, mm-hmm. and they need to be able to critically think and analyze. They need to know what science says, and be able to make some decisions. Because I said, you guys are going to have a lot of things to vote about. I mean, whether it's in our state or it's GMO labels, people talk about what to put on some GMO labels, <laughs> and some other things coming down to strike. You know, things and what diff- different other environmental type issues or sciencey type potential science issues down the road. I said, you guys need to know how to think and analyze. I said, that's what I want them to do. And, you know, I'm trying to work on using more data. I've talked to Jen Fannis still about using more primary source docs, at least reading abstracts, pulling information out more than I've done before, teaching kids to read more science as they go. So, you know, try to get, make myself continue to make myself a better teacher down the road. And, you know, after, you know, I do hang out my teaching shingle, I hope to be able to continue to work with teachers through some of the programs. I still work with them today because I have a lot of fun with that. I learned from from all the great teachers I get to work with once in a while across the country. Yeah. It's, it's funny to talk to teachers that are like excited and passionate and, you know, you contrast that with the, you know, the occasional colleague who will tell you to the minute how many more years they have till they, you know, <laughs> retire that in so many months and so many, like, I, I, it, it always blows me away that, you know, whenever I talk to teachers at, at NABT or, you know, uh, various conversations I have with people, no matter where they are in their career, they're not like, there's no countdown. Um, mm-hmm. And it's true, like, I think it's kind of true across the board. I I, they're not counting down to vacations. They're not counting down to the end of the year. <laughs> the only countdown they seem to get is, oh, there's so many more days left until the start of the school year so I can get ready for that first day. Yep. The The anticipation is for the work with the students in the classroom, not the end of the work with the students in the classroom. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty excited where I am and I, I hope to maintain that spirit Um I think if you ever get to that point where you're counting down the days, maybe that's one of those signs where, yeah, maybe it is time. <laughs> maybe it is time to take the step out. I actually had a call. Someone, my colleague in my school asked me that. He says, you've been here longer than anybody else, which is true in our building. They said, how do you keep the energy you do? And I said, I always change. I always reflect and change. Hmm. I said, that's how you do it. You don't ever keep doing the same thing over and over again. You got to tinker and make it better as you go along. He goes, huh. And I said, that's the secret. I said, you get bored. if you, I said, I get bored if I taught it exactly the same way every year. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's what leads you to make those uh, make those risks. If you like look down and say, wait a minute, I'm just going to do this. And I didn't love this last year. How can I do this different? Um, that's when you get those breakthroughs. So yep. it's great. All right. So when you're not in the, the classroom, are you still uh, you still the outdoorsy type? You're out in Colorado. That is outdoorsy land. Uh, what do you do when you're not teaching? Oh, I like to go fly fishing, like to golf a little bit, like to hike in the mountains, like to read some misread once in a while, sometimes <laughs> sciencey stuff, sometimes non-sciencey stuff. Yeah. I got that book Brad Williamson posted about the biology by the numbers book. He talked about, I think in one of the Facebook groups, I just got my copy of it. That'll be probably one of my books to look at coming up here soon. So. Yeah. I've 
Got to check that one out too. I'm going to add that one to the show notes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about it. My kids went through a, a fishing phase a few years ago, but they've sort of, uh, the, the younger one still may have it in him. We may still go out, but my, my teenager, I think that has sort of passed him by. Okay. Um, but I've never, I've never fly fished. I've, it's, ne- it's never something I ever did. Uh, you know, rod and reel. Yeah, my dad used to fly fish a long time ago. I remember seeing it and thinking it was cool. But uh, I've never done that. So maybe one of those hobbies to to try out one of these days. Yeah, I got started at younger because my grandfather helped make a bamboo rod for me years ago mm-hmm. when I was probably elementary to junior high and gave it to me and my beach my brothers and i each got one and so always something to do and i've done it more off and on depending on the years but that's something i want to keep going with so yeah yeah i think there's a lot of good streams around where i am to to do that um okay it's it's decent it's 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 like a lot of good it's not great rod and reel fishing around here in the streams um there's good boat fishing like if you you get a small small craft you can go out um there's some good spots but you need to you really kind of need to get out into the water to get some of the deeper holes if you want to really fish around here. Um, mm-hmm. And then the stuff that's in the streams are like know, brook trout, you know, which are it's hard to rod and reel brook trout. I mean, they're True. so skittish. Um, but I think fly fishing might be the way to go about doing that. Um, it seems to be a little bit more successful to 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 lure them out with the fly fishing from the people I know who fish. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the fly fishermen have a little bit more fun uh, going after the brookies. Trying to brook trout for with a with a seven and eleven year old uh, was uh, was more or less like <laughs> Sisyphean task may have been the appropriate thing. Is there no way? Yes. There's no way they didn't hear us coming from a mile and a half away. No. Nope. <laughs> so they uh, they tucked away pretty well. So, but oh, it's better to stand out there. It was a a bad day fishing is <laughs> better than a good day doing a lot of other things. So absolutely correct. All right. So before we get to picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? What's your one? What's one goal for you for 2018 for your classroom? Oh, that's a good one. All right. So we're into 2018. Um, I so I could pick anything. Sort of what you said earlier. Um, I, I actually had a flashback to a meeting I had had with an administrator a few years ago when they, they had come in and evaluated my classroom and they were talking about this that I did well and this that I did that well. And I was like, oh, there's not a single area of my classroom that couldn't use changing. Like everything could get better. Um, but so if it was in my um, I think my big shift I need to make is in my AP. Um, and I, I sort of alluded to it earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, I think for 2018, I, I would like by the end of by this time next year. Uh, by this time next year, I would hope that my um, my learning objectives for AP are clear. Like right now, they're not. Right now, they're still not in what I would consider student-friendly language. Um, I don't think that there's great there's a, a great storyline arc unit to unit. Um, mm-hmm. It's not to say that I don't think there's a storyline, but I don't think that the storyline is told in a way through the learning objectives in a way that makes clear sense to the students. And I just know that from the reflections that I get back, the kinds of questions I get from students are still about nitpicky little facts and not about these larger big pictures, which tells me that I'm not engaging them in the storyline idea, in the arc idea. And mm. um, and so 
I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I've got a couple of ideas of what it's going to look like, but I'm hopeful that what's going to happen. And I talked about Brian earlier. We we're I think very much on the same page. Mm-hmm. We've been working on them a little bit. We've been tinkering about it, but we need to make a big change. We need to sit down and say, all right, this is unit one. What are the learning objectives? Let's line them out. What do they say? What is the wording? How do we make the student friendly? Maybe I adopt something like, you know, um, Diana Shields, uh, where she has the, the I can statements, um, Mm -hmm. that she shared on my early episode. And I've been playing around with those a little bit, with a couple of my classes, but I want my learning objectives in every one of my classes to be clear in a language that makes sense to students um, by then. And I feel like I've made a really good progress with that in my honors curriculum, but the AP curriculum, the based off the feedback I've been getting through the work that they've been doing this year, we're still a good step away from making it clear to that. Um, And that's not for all students, but too many students are struggling with the way we present them and and that's going to be the big shift so all right that's a good one a good question (laughs) all right so it's time for picks of the episode uh mark what's your pick after you listen to one podcast here a while ago i'll go with paul's wonder of science website yeah so have you have you tooled around on that um i I know where you heard that feed because uh uh I posted it out for them, uh, but have you tooled around on his wonder, the wonderofscience.com? I did go play on that website a little bit. What I was impressed with were the resources on that page, in particular right away. He had some good stuff anyway, and he had a list of a lot of resources that are available, particularly some of the computer modeling, simulation type things I was taking a look at, some things I wasn't aware of. Our school's going more Chromebook style. And I need to try to make sure things work that way with our students because I work more on a Mac at home. So when I say, well, this works fine, I go try in the Chromebook. I've had a couple of things not work so well. You know, FETS working the finally, you know, doing more that are more that user friendly that way t- towards Chromebooks too. So I was really imp- I want to kind of look at that a little bit more as I go along. So yeah, I've, I've played around with it a little bit, it's, but yeah, he's got a lot of a lot more stuff in here um and as i was telling you i went to a couple of days with paul this summer and um yeah it was, I, I think that i'm i'm excited to see how he builds this website out because it's a lot of stuff i know um but the way he presents things helps reframe those resources in a way that i can take into my classroom mm-hmm. uh, and that was the takeaway i had from the two-day workshop with him and it it definitely has had a big impact on me um i don't know how closely Colorado is to NGSS. Are you guys an NGSS state? We probably going to be really close here in a couple of years. We were waiting to, I think it's a year or so away when we kind of do our things Mm -hmm. and reframing is a good way how Paul does things. He does things in a way that helps me think about reframing things quite a bit. So, yeah. So we've, uh, we've adopted the disciplinary core ideas and we've adopted the science practices for whatever reason, we did not adopt the cross cutting concepts. Um, I have my hypotheses as to why that happened, but uh, it's 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 an uninf- it's it's very marginally third hand informed about why that might have happened. Mm. But um, yeah, just like being able to uh, roll units out where content drives things and using the practices and using the pro- practices in a logical way to help students yeah. unpack um, concepts um, has been an interesting has been interesting, and I've definitely used it a lot. I work with a 
an at-risk group, um, an alternative program group, um, and they're my they're my vulnerable group. They're the ones who I have to get ready for the state exam. Mm-hmm. My honors kids, I'm I'm never going to be worried about them passing a standardized test um, ever. Um, they're just you know, they, 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 mm-hmm. I need them to like take less standardized tests, <laughs> not, not worry about how they do on them, but like, yeah, I know a few of the type. Yeah. Yeah. And so in my, in my school, you know, we have, we have a, a pretty high performing standardized test mark in general, but, um, I work with a very at risk group and the kids have a lot of disruption to their learning, have a lot of gaps in their learning. Um, and so what's daunting to me is I know how to slam content. And I can get, you know, our current state exam, I can slam, I can six weeks, I can get any kid ready for our, the content on our state exam right now because it's, it's just a content exam and the bar mm-hmm. to pass it's not very high. So give me six weeks with pretty much any kid, I can get them over. And I've been doing that for a decade. But if they have to be able to get over that bar, and it's not just going to be about content, but then applying the process of science, that means that the curriculum has to be you know, it can't just be a plug and chug method. It's got to be a curriculum that really lets the kids open up and really be, you know, engaged in science. So I don't mean this in a criticism at all, but mm-hmm. I do feel um, maybe it comes across in my voice. I can't, I'm anxious about uh, how the what the implication is going to be of these new assessments are going to be on the most at risk and most vulnerable students um, and making sure I get there for them. True. And I, th- I understand that. And that's kind of the conversation we've had in our building across the courses is with, I've suggested they all look at the NGSS because I said the state's going to adapt something. And I said the practices of science and I think people are slowly starting to process what that means. And it's come up more as we call it, you know, with the probably, I don't know if the word just won't come out right, lower performing students overall may have more issues in what they have to do with them. I know that's been some conversation. I know at our school about that too. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful though, because I think that if people are teaching and the practices are driving the instruction, as opposed to the content driving the instructions, um, it's just going to be a more engaging class for everybody. Uh, oh, I think so. And so in a lot of ways, I think the, the students who, you know, I view as at risk now, they will be only at risk if we can if we don't sh- change the model and that if you allow them to engage in the practice of science and really engage and you know ask questions and design investigations and do some simple uh, computational thinking you know mean median mode is not you know that's that's some basic statistics where they can learn some basic you know explanation of spread of data versus mm-hmm. uh, c- central tendency Absolutely. All high school students can do that, no matter how disrupted their learning is. They can get to that point. Um, th- making meaning in that way, as you had talked about, you know, these they're all going to be voters. Whether they're high performing in high school or low performing in high school, they all get to vote. Um, and they still need to be informed citizens. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful about it, but I'm still a little nervous for my job of making sure that I, I do my part to get them ready. Yeah, I think I think you got a good point with that. I think I think in some respects, and I brought up the point you just mentioned. I think if we have a good, engaging class using the practice of science with the lower performing students, they're going to enjoy it a lot more. Oh yeah. And I've tried to bring that up, and I think some people, it's one of those things that change is kind of hard to pull the trigger from what some people, a couple of people, teach at some of those those students on it because I don't have them in my classroom. 
trying to get them to pull that. I said, just let them do science and they're going to be better. Yeah. Well, I do most of, um, most of the labs I do with my, uh, my alternative program kids. I do a lot of the AP labs, um, that Mm -hmm. floating disc lab, uh, yeast enzyme lab with, I do the yeast spheres, um, uh, floating up in hydrogen peroxide. I do those labs. I do the same lab I do for cell respiration, although I keep messing with how I'm going to do that one. Uh, but I do a lot of the same labs that I do. I just, you know, I frame them differently and I structure them differently, but I let the, you know, I let, I, this sort of the new thing I've been doing, I've been letting the phenomena of the lab of the intro lab drive a series of questions and drive the the content piece in there. And, you know, I'm saying this like it's a (laughs) (laughs) well-polished curriculum that it's not, um, it's messy, as you said earlier, um, but it's a, it's definitely a much more engaging way of approaching it. And as I've been doing that, the t- the students have told me what works, um, as opposed to me telling them how the classroom needs to run. They've been telling me how the classroom needs to run, um, and and it's been as you said, the student voice is there, um, but uh, it's still. It's still a little daunting to know what is gonna, what is this all gonna look like when it gets assessed at the end, and it is a graduation requirement for them. So I, I, um, I feel a duty to make sure that I give them my mm-hmm. best and, uh, and we get them there. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'll be, I will be anxious until we've done it for five years and they've all passed. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the same level of anxiety will. So for the next seven years, I'm going to have the exact same feeling yeah. about this curriculum until I've seen it work and I've seen it repeatable and I've seen that we can get them ready. Um, I will feel the same way. So <laughs> I understand. All right, so my pick of the episode is uh, another podcast, um, and I've, uh, I've I like to pull a different podcast, but um, this is you know we've been doing this over break, and break is my total nerd out time, um, and so my nerd out time usually goes to microbiology. Uh, I didn't know this about myself. I didn't know that if somebody had told me maybe you know 25 years ago I wanted to be a microbiologist, I would have maybe taken some different classes in college or or that sort of <laughs> thing. But um, I tend to find myself uh, in microbiology worlds um, a lot. Uh, and so I found this podcast. Um, it's uh, one of the podcasts from the American Society for Microbiology. It's called Meet the Microbiologist. Um, and and the host uh, interviews just that, interviews a microbiologist and sort of mm. talks and gets the stories behind people who are doing science in microbiology. Um, and for me, listening to scientists talk about the way they engage in science um, constantly keeps me grounded about how I need to teach. I don't know if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. but um, I feel like there is a, an underlying desire for efficiency in our curriculum to get from point A to point B. And as you had mentioned earlier, that's how we were trained and that's how I learned. And, you know, that's, that's how I was taught. And I think there is this default system of efficiently teaching science in a very point A to point B manner. And the fact of the matter is that's just bad science because <laughs> mm-hmm. science doesn't go from point A to point B. No. It never does. <laughs> and so for me, whether it's listening to Meet the Microbiologists or, you know, uh, This Week in Virology or any of the podcasts where scientists are talking about science and doing the science, um, it helps ground me into ultimately making sure that what I am doing in my classroom and the way I'm talking um, Ref- actually actually reflects the the true nature of science um and so uh i i recommend it i listened to the last one it was a microbiologist who's been looking at um nitrogen cycling 
um, and and microbes and was talking about the downsides of using 16S ribosomal sequencing to identify and the problems with using the phrase species when talking about bacteria um, and using the phrases taxon. It was, to me, I was like a total nerded out. Yeah, it was a 45-minute podcast, not a not a, not a huge ask for me. I listen to a ton of podcasts, but for me, it was a it was a great um, a great story that I got to listen to. And uh, there's there are many episodes in, so I I think I probably will start back cataloging and listening to some of the older ones um, because I think a lot of the interesting stories that we tell sometimes get overly boiled down. Um, in our classroom and hearing the work of the scientists and the way that they question what they do and how experiments lead to new experiments is, is a really good grounding uh, thing for me as a teacher. And hopefully it helps other people as well. Cool. Sound like a neat one. I'm going to go take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you again, Mark, for joining me. It's been a, a great conversation. Never know where this is going to go, but man, this is another one of those super uh, engaging. You've now completely convinced me that I can't blow Brian off when he asks me to help, um, with my state organization. So Brian will appreciate this. And yeah, you know, when I get an email from NABT, uh, and they say, you volunteered to be involved with this. I'll be like, damn it. I did volunteer. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot harder to say no, uh, when I get those emails. So, all right. So let me give you my, uh, my show credits. Uh, you can support this episode um, by going to patreon.com slash lots. Uh, and if you do support this, you get invited into a Slack community with the supporters of this uh, podcast, uh, the work of John Darko, as previously mentioned, and his uh, creations. And he is creating all sorts of uh, cool simulations uh, that I've been tinkering with in my classroom. And I know Mark and I were talking about that off offline a little bit. He's been tinkering with them uh, quite a bit. So, uh, and then also the work of David Kanofsky. Uh, if you support any of us, you get involved into a community of Patreons uh, in a Slack channel where we talk about science and teaching. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. Show notes are found at lifeofthesschool.org. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School, um, all one word. Uh, Mark, you're also on Twitter, aren't you? Mm -hmm. you're, wh what's your handle? Um, Mr. Science Little, I believe. At Mr. Science Little. And I'll put a link of that into the show notes as well so you can follow Mark. He, he's not the most active Twitter uh, poster, <laughs> but I think around conferences you, you post a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So you'll know when Mark's out at a conference because you'll see a little uptick in his, his activity. So, uh, Mark, thank you again for joining me, and I will uh, talk to everybody soon. Right, thanks. Thanks.